the alternative stories and fake realities podcast audio drama poetry fiction you're listening to the alternative stories and fake realities podcast Today on the podcast, we'll be speaking with Rian Edwards and Zoe Bridley, poets and joint poetry editors of Seren Books. Alternative Stories have been working with Seren to create a new poetry podcast, and we'll hear more about that and about Rian and Zoe's other work with Seren in the interview. We'll have a preview of the Seren Poetry Podcast and hear some of the poems recorded for it. We'll have a short preview of the upcoming Sylvia Plath Literary Festival and speak with festival director and poet Sarah Corbett later in the podcast. We'll also hear about some of the audio drama coming up on Alternative Stories this autumn. Let's start by listening to our interview with Seren Books poetry editors Zoe Brigley and Rian Edwards. The interview was recorded over Zoom, so we apologise if the sound quality isn't as good as we'd normally expect. The interviewer is me, Chris Gregory. I'm joined today by Rhian Edwards and Zoe Brigley, the co-poetry editors for Seren Books. Good morning to both of you. Good morning, Chris. Good morning. So I wanted to start uh, by talking about this this role of uh, poetry editor or co-poetry editor in in your cases. What's your vision for your your joint tenure in this role? It's interesting because, of course, for the for over ten years, I have been a Seren poet as well, and can very much thank my career to the former poetry editor Amy Wack, who did the job for thirty years. Amy, in her own right, um, discovered a lot of um, some of the stalwart names in the the poetry landscape. So it is very much our intention to continue that legacy of finding these exciting voices, continuing to um, champion Welsh voices, but also to champion diversity and to find a lot of the the hidden voices and the underrepresented voices within Wales and outside of Wales and internationally. Thank you. We'll talk. I think you've 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 touched on a few topics that we'll be talking on uh, about a bit more in this interview. But uh, what about you, Zoe? What do you what do you see the uh, what's your ambition for your tenure in the role? Uh, well, uh, I'm a Welsh poet myself and uh, grew up in Caerphilly. My family from the Slimvy Valley and. Uh, I guess I've always had huge respect for Saren um, because of the work they do, um, because on one level, um, they've published some really important Welsh writers, writers who um, have been brought to greater acclaim and more notice by being published at Saren. Uh, But apart from that, um, I like the fact, I've always liked the fact um, that Saren is a contender on the national stage, that, you know, we do have uh, award-winning poets. We do publish the best from Wales and elsewhere. And um, it's important for Wales to have a press like that because we have a long tradition which it, where poetry is quite integral to our culture. And so it's very, very important to, um, to really have those books being published. Mm. And we'll, we'll we'll talk a bit about Welshness and 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 the Welsh um, literary culture, I guess, and and, and Saren's role in that later. But I just wanted to ask a little bit more. How you know in this role, how are you how are you going to work together? Are, are you going to kind of divvy up tasks and Rian does some and Zoe Zoe others, or are you going to kind of work in a complementary way? So we found we complement each other really well. We have continuous meetings. Communication is is the core of it all. We find we tend to agree very much in terms of who we're going to propose to the board. There's a unanimousness to it. Um, But also we do divvy up tasks um, Mm. according, you know, because it is a joint role because we do hold other positions as well. Um, We're both single mums, so we have to be very fastidious with our time. 
but I think that's how, that's how we've been doing it really we, you know we've been outsourcing but also complementing mm. yes and I think that um we've worked together really well especially on manuscripts because really what writers get is two editors for the price of one and we we each have our own kind of preoccupations and things that we we look at very closely in manuscripts when we're reading them and so I think that it's worked really well so far um, when we've been editing manuscripts that we we both uh, we have a lot of things that we both notice or we both kind of agree on um, and then we have some things that we we have different opinions on and we have some fun then in editorial <laughs> meeting with writers you know trying to decide like what what decision or what option to go for which is you know a good laugh yeah, I invariably punch the air if they go with my decision over Zoe's you know yeah, she's, she's very competitive <laughs> I, I thought you were going to say you I'm punched just, Zoe there calm. for a minute I'm just very calm about it just like, yeah, whatever but yeah. yeah Zoe's the zen one you know yeah. yeah yeah and I think what's really important is we, is we trust each other I think that's been a huge part of the cement that's that's enabled this relationship because a lot of people are quite dumbfound how we can both be poetry editors. And even though we come, we come from different tastes and a different value system, you know, I mean, so we study creative writing at Warwick. Um, I came to poetry quite late on in life, my mid to late 20s. And yet we seem to show a very similar sensibility, you know, at the, at the end of the day. So mm. yeah, we have complemented each other tremendously well. You mentioned um, Amy Wack, the outgoing um, poetry editor for Seren. Um, and as as just before she departed, we uh, we interviewed Amy and talked about her tenure, the, the many years she did as poetry editor, and the different, the changing kind of style um, and approach to the the types of poetry that Seren would publish during that time. So I wanted to ask you both, really, what is there a particular style? type of poet or approach to poetry that you'd like to encourage more of uh, in, in your roles? Well, this is an interesting one because we were we sat down when we first got into the job and we were thinking about what kind of strands there have been in the Saren list already. And thinking about it, there are a number of different kinds of poetry collections that you get. So there's a lot of strong Welsh writing um, there's a lot of writing on the environment and climate mm. crisis, climate catastrophe, which is really important. We want to continue publishing work like that. Um, there are books which are about social issues, trauma and grief. Um, and there's also this strand, which is what I titled Wonder at the Ordinary World. So this sense of, of finding what's uh, moving, what's beautiful and you know what is precious in the ordinary. And I think that's quite a strong tradition in Welsh writing, actually. And we also have strong anthologies apart from that. Um, so we're looking to continue those kinds of strands. And I think one of the most important things for us is that we really want to be seeing more submissions um, from diverse writers. And um, we're really interested in opening that up. Um, and it's one of those things where you really have to grab people by the collar and say please submit to us because I think sometimes there's a feeling like oh I'm not sure if this press will publish me you know I'm not sure if they're, they're going to publish a, a poet like me mm. and I think what we really want to convey is that the press we're, we're really open to submissions from everybody from everybody we don't want anyone to feel like oh it's probably not worth my time sending it because actually one of the things that we're really taking care over is reading manuscripts very carefully and you know even if we we can't publish all of them obviously but you know we we try and direct people to other presses or if their works of a particular quality then we direct them to Poetry Wales and say submit there so there are lots of opportunities that you might get from submitting even if you don't get published and um, we we try to help writers as much as we can yeah so I, I just my my main thing would be just to say please submit your work because we will read it carefully and you don't know what might come out of it actually. Yeah. 
We've also tried to democratise the submissions process as well. So um, before it was hard copies only, which is it's quite a feat, actually, when it comes to printing off the, the proposal, the covering letter, um, getting the, the return of envelope and the right postage on it. So we've made it online submissions now. Mm. So we have augmented the sheer quantity of, of submissions quite considerably, which does mean we are getting inundated, uh, you know. Um, so we're probably taking longer than people would like us to get back to them. But we are sifting through them carefully and we both read the submissions. I mean, how, how much of your time... Uh, in uh, you know in in the role are you are you reading submissions from would-be seren writers a lot of the time mm. a lot of the time and the thing was because amy had to hold off on making decisions at a certain point when she knew she was going to leave and so there were a lot of manuscripts like waiting for us <laughs> when we came into the job <laughs> yes and so what we've been working to do over the past like four or five months or whatever it is is just trying to um just work through those in fact and um and make sure that everybody has a reply um so it's taken a little time but i think we want to read everything carefully and make sure we're doing a good job with with every manuscript we read Mm. excellent and of course it's not just new writers you know it's that you've got the existing list as well so you're also inundated from that side um, in addition to the to the new and emerging writers. Um, and yeah, we just want to treat everyone fairly. So we are trying to do it chronologically. Mm. Um, so we're get, sort of wading through the backlog. But of course, we um, we started the position on the 1st of February. And then, of course, we had the festival to organise <laughs> from scratch yeah. as well. So it was a bit of a baptism of fire. But, you know, we're getting there. That's, so that's the Seren Cardiff Poetry Festival. That's it, yeah. Which is an annual annual shindig and um you know it's a festival that's devoted to poetry mm. um, but it's touching on so many important things so we have like panels and readings which are about things like climate emergency and um, the theme of course i should mention is wellness uh, and we're thinking about you know how do we feel now after you know such a long time in lockdown you know the ongoing pandemic what are we doing with you know how we feel about wellness and so a lot of the panels are about um, issues like grief mindfulness um thinking about our health um thinking about issues around um peace and world conflict and so just trying to um think through some questions that we might have after this very strange mm. peculiar experience that we've all been through together absolutely yeah. there's a there's a lot going on in the world for 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 poets and artists to to react to at the moment isn't there so we we've we've talked there about kind of opening up the submission process as much as possible and democratizing it i think was the word you used what about reaching new new readers for poetry do you have any plans in 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 that area well this is quite interesting because for example, if you look at who our readers are at the moment, we did some research into users of the Saren website. And we had looked to see, okay, who is it that's browsing our books, that's buying our books, that's using the website? And what's interesting is that it is um, actually older middle-aged people um, and older are looking at it, but also like very young people. So this is kind of interesting, like that we have like two audiences in a way and we want to cater to both of them. Um, so, you know, this means actually balancing something that Saren has always managed to balance, which is um, on the one hand, publishing like important Welsh poets who might have been writing for quite a long time. Um, and then also looking for new voices and trying to, adopt and foster those and actually um not just from like you know you might assume all those new voices are going to be like um very young poets but actually um I try to avoid using the term uh young poets you know I always say like new or emerging because Mm. I think poets can actually emerge at any age Mm. with important work Uh, and so what you'll see is we're going to be having an announcement soon about um, the the new list of poets who are coming out uh, for next year, 
And there are all kinds of poets on that list. So there are younger writers, um, and there are also some writers who are older who are having a collection for the first time. And I think that's right. That's how it should be, that we, um, you know, we, we're just looking for the quality of work, for the, the freshness of it, for the, um, the innovation of it. Also, also, we're doing a lot more pamphlets as well. That's the other mm. thing. So as a way of... Um, I don't want to say road testing, but, you know, bringing new voices to the fore. I don't know, to what extent are we allowed to say that, you know, um, with sort of Welsh Books Council, you know, there's more pressure that we publish Welsh poets and we really have to justify our case with non-Welsh poets. And uh, we think pamphlets are a very good way of, especially of of launching a person into their poetry career, Mm. getting something out there. It's for some people, it's a more palatable form of reading poetry and again, can appeal to, you know, a sort of diversity of audience as well, trying to get into poetry. So we've we've talked there about expanding the reach of, of, of poetry and probably a way that that has traditionally um, worked well is through awards and uh, accolades for, for poetry. And I think you're both no strangers to um garnering awards for your for your own work but how important is it that seren poets are nominated for awards and 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 being shortlisted it's a tricky one because undoubtedly it does affect sales if you think there's probably about over 80 books of poetry is pu- are published every quarter you know and what people want is a cherry picking exercise mm. so it's much easier for people to to cherry pick the poetry collections they're going to read if they're not an existing fan by virtue of it being a PBS selection, commendation, et cetera. It's had that validation within the industry. So a lot of people do use that as a guiding light. I mean, unquestionably, I got the most work of my life on the back end of winning Wales Book of the Year. Mm. You know, it's indisputable. It shouldn't, it shouldn't be that way. It isn't necessarily a validation or a a calibration of quality so much so much of the good stuff goes through the net and it just maybe just didn't appeal to the judge at that particular time that that's all it testifies to unfortunately it is an arbiter for a lot of publishers especially in terms of qualifying you know how good a job they're doing well I think the fact that we are actually practicing poets ourselves probably influences this because, you know, Rian's won a lot of awards. I've won awards as well. And I think that they are a nice thing to have, especially when, like, with the PBS recommendations, you're nominated for those by fellow poets, which is a really nice mm. thing. So, you know, that getting that validation from your own community is a lovely thing. Um, but, you know, they are, are quite subjective. And I do notice and think that Welsh writers suffer a little bit nationally that they can tend to be a bit overlooked and I know that Rian and I want to sit down and think about this and think about how we can like help raise the profile of some of the writers that we have because um, there is this you know tendency that Welsh writers um, I, I don't think they get nominated as often as poets from other parts of the UK um, so we have like Robert Manhinnick, for example, or, you know, Zoe Scolding or um, Darren Rhys-Jones. So we do have poets who get nominated for awards, but I, I don't think there are quite so many. And so that's something we'd like to think about and try and analyse a bit and work out what we need to do to change that. Mm. Okay. Well, I, I mean, just just kind of expanding that that theme of, of, of Welsh poets then. I mean, Clearly, you're you're both um, Welsh poets, and 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 Seren is a is a Welsh poetry press. Do you see Seren as having a role in specifically promoting Welsh poetry and and the literary culture that we associate with uh, the country? I certainly think so. Um, you know, we we publish Peter Finch, uh, Tony Curtis, Paul Henry. They're important Anglo-Welsh writers. You know, and I I feel it we do have a responsibility to maintain those voices. They're important poetic voices in the poetry landscape, but also to bring the emerging voices. It's, it's, it's the balancing act of the two, 
I think is the most important. Mm. Yeah. And if you look at the history of the press, so it was set up in 1981 by Carrie Archer and Mick Felton. And the idea was to represent English language Welsh writing and um, to represent Welsh literary culture, but also to be influencers um, and to show really that a small country can have worldwide relevance. That's the idea of it. That was the core. And I think that needs to continue as something that's very important. So, yes, definitely. So can you tell us about some uh, upcoming Seren collections and poets that we should be looking out for? The yeah. one that I'm excited about is um, we're having a big collected volume of Hilary Swellin Williams poetry. And um, Hilary Swellin Williams is a poet that I read when I was a young poet. So when I was a teenager, say, and I was um, working out how I wanted to write. And what really interests me about her work is her treatment of nature and place. Mm. And a lot of the poets that you'll see at Saren have been writing about nature, the more than human, and you know, tying into environmental damage, pollution, and ultimately climate crisis for a very long time. So it's something that has been really core to our press and something that could not be more important. So I'm really excited about having this kind of retrospective volume of her work with some new poems as well, which are excellent. Um, so, you know, we're really happy about that. And it's been like a real honor and a pleasure for me to be working with her as someone, you know, that I really admired as a young poet and so now now to be your editor well that's just great it's wonderful absolutely what about and, you Rian? um in october we have Rhiannon Hooson, um judy brown and briny littlefair um this will be briny littlefair's first collection um she had a mislexia winning pamphlet which we published um so she's got escape rooms coming out um we've got Rhiannon Hooson's second collection goliath and we've got Judy Brown's Lairs and all such wildly different and diverse voices and subject matter. I mean, they're incomparable. Then in October, we've got um, Glyn Edwards in Orbit, which is a fantastically inventive first collection with ourselves. And we've got um, Neris Williams, haven't we, Republic? Yeah, and there's there's another wonderful writer who I've yeah. admired for a very long time. So again, I'm very excited about publishing Neris's new work as well it's just it's just a dream come true to be working with a lot of these writers yeah mm. oh somebody we can also mention because she has signed a contract is Catherine Gray and um, this is her second collection with Saren so um she had oh, when was her last collection Zoe it was about wasn't 20 years ago was it ago and the thing is that Catherine has suffered from writer's block she's been quite open about it she's written about it on social media she's talked about it with with us and, and various like colleagues that she's she knows and she suddenly had this breakthrough yeah and the work is absolutely terrific it's it's very kind of like world weary voice and it, it commenting on celebrity on hollywood uh, and it's absolutely terrific work and great for film fans like anyone who you know, is a, a film aficionado will really enjoy this book because it has a lot of Easter eggs. So, you know, little references to different films and, you know, quotations of film lines and, and different things like that. So and I I love, um, you know, old movies. So I, I just loved reading this. I really enjoyed it. Yeah. Oh, well, we all, we all love an Easter egg or an homage, <laughs> don't we? Um, get those cultural references in there and um, see, see who notices. It's, 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 it's always a great thing to play with, isn't it? And so, finally, we can announce another poet who we're launching because she signed her contract, who is Vanessa Lampert, who is an acupuncturist from Oxfordshire. And she's got a wonderful new collection coming out as well. So we've got such a, we've got such eclecticism of voices. Mm. Um, yeah. Waiting at the printing press as we speak. Yeah. Well, we're, we're up in the show notes for this podcast, we'll link to the uh, Seren website uh, so that listeners can um, look look at the poets. Um, there's a whole list of all the Seren poets there, but also connect to the collections when they come out and, and buy and order them. If you're enjoying this edition of Alternative Stories and Fake Realities, please consider subscribing in your favourite podcast app to have new editions delivered to you the moment they are released. You'll also have access to our full archive of audio drama, poetry and fiction podcasts, 
including all the dramas mentioned in this edition. We always appreciate ratings and reviews, preferably in Apple Podcasts or Podchaser. These help to raise the profile of our podcast, allowing more people to listen and more content to be produced. I wanted to ask you about podcasts and recorded poetry. Obviously, that's something I'm very passionate about, and I've I've spoken on on my own podcast and on BBC Radio about poetry podcasting. So I just wanted to get your own views on the role of podcasts in in being a tool to disseminate poetry. So um, I'm a total podcast junkie. So one of the first things I actually announced during my my interview for this editorship job was that I wanted to start a Saren podcast because I think the long form conversation lends itself so well to poetry. Now, the only reason you're generally going to buy poetry is if you've heard it. And of course, with lockdown, you know, we were denied many rights of having the bricks and mortar gigs that we used to have. But even then, most poets, most poets only have about 20 minutes tops to read their entire oeuvre, you know. And in that time, they don't really have much opportunity to discuss what inspired the poem or all their career or, you know, what the impetus was behind certain poems. So I think just for them to have a sort of 45 minute conversation where they can discuss their poetry while interspersing the poems, I think that is such an important way for them to showcase their work, which most poets are denied. I I think that's absolutely right. And that's something we've tried to do with alternative stories. And hopefully we'll, you know, push that through into the um, Seren uh, podcast. It it, it is just giving that voice and, and... we talk to novelists, we talk to musicians, don't we, about the creative process. And I think the creative process behind poetry perhaps needs a little bit of demystifying. I mean, it's it's good that there's a bit of mystery there because I think there is in all artistic creative processes. But I, I think humanising the poets by giving them voices and thinking a little bit about, I mean, the mechanics of, of writing poetry. Um, it's just something that listeners... I think really want to know about and they've responded very well when we've put out um, podcasts like that. I do think it's a very important way to especially to relaunch voices like Hilary Llewellyn Williams who maybe a lot of contemporary poets don't know her work but also a lot of poets are quite shy and sometimes being on a stage in front of a microphone they find terrifying but actually just just it being an audio experience Hmm might actually liberate them a lot more to discuss their work. Absolutely. I, I completely agree. I think the other the other thing that we've found as well is 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 some some poets aren't most comfortable reading their own work. So sometimes we get actors involved to to read poems and that can work well uh, in some cases. In other cases, the poet is absolutely the best person to read their piece, particularly if they are used to, uh, if they are a performance poet or they're used to um, speaking at festivals and events. What about you, Zoe? Are you, are you a podcast fan? Yeah, I'm a podcaster myself. Um, I've just wound up very recently a podcast that I was running for a while called Sinister Myth, which you'll find on iTunes. And um, that was a podcast which was all about the stories we tell um, in like media and culture um, about people who are traditionally marginalised and how sometimes those stories can be harmful. And um, and so, you know, in that context, the, I think the podcast was a really good way of um, of actually communicating information, like complex stories, like why certain kinds of stories can be damaging. And I really enjoyed doing that. And that was actually I linked that up to my teaching. So a lot of my worked with my students on it here, you know, over in the States and um, and we used it in class as well, but it was also on iTunes for anyone to listen to. Um, so I think there's something about the act of listening, uh, which I think is very good for us as well. So we read so much, we consume so much um, in online culture, so on the internet and social media, that I think just um, listening, having a different mode um, for absorbing information is really good and it was very good for my students so they would you know instead of having like a chapter of a book to read they would um, listen to an interview with someone who was an expert on what we were looking at that particular mm. week 
and they really liked it and they could do it while they were driving you know they could be cooking and listening to it as well mm. and I'm also a podcast fan so I have thought in the past oh, a poetry podcast would be a good thing um so I listen a lot to um the poetry foundation podcasts they have great ones where some of them are just like one poem read out loud from them from poetry magazine and that's great I just sit there and listen to about 10 of them <laughs> that's great and then sometimes they have um they have another podcast where it's looking at uh, poems in more detail and sometimes even interviewing um, the writer or a couple of editors having a conversation about why they chose it, which I think is really interesting and useful for people who want to submit as well, because they'd be like, oh, why did they choose this poem? Which is something that I'm sure often people ask themselves, why did they choose this poem? And you can go and listen to a conversation and find out why. So um, I do love poetry podcasts. There's another one, which I think is called Poems for Breakfast, off the top of my head. And that's an Irish one, which is run by Peter Sir, which is very good. Yeah, right. And um, I enjoy that one a lot as well. They have some great poems on there. Um, so I think it is a really good and positive thing. And like I say, just like the act of listening and concentrating on listening, I think it's a relief for for me, because um, I do so much reading, so much, you know, there's so much in being embroiled with social media and stuff that it's nice to have a bit of distance. So just, you know, you can get into the bath, put on the podcast. It's very relaxing. It's lovely. It's just great. Mm. So I, I'm excited for us to be creating one ourselves. Yeah. Fantastic. I think what also what I like about it is it's a conversation. It's not an interview. So even though you may have a list of interview questions, and you may just ask the first one from then you can go down any rabbit hole you like because the conversation is unfurling in its own organic way and, and that's what i love about podcasts mm. you know because poets do have, poets do have fascinating things to say but they just mm. generally don't have an opportunity to say them apart from the within the poem that they're reciting on, on that occasion you know yeah but we, but you get to hear both because you get to hear the poem but you also yeah. get to hear the creative process and what it means you know what what, what you know what what emotions it, it was stirred in the poet to to create that thing i think the other thing is you know with a with a radio program and you know let, let's be honest there are some great poetry radio programs but there is that need to you know fill a 58 or 28 minute slot between news bulletins in a scheduled radio um, um program whereas with podcasts if we're having a great chat we can just keep going and you know as long as we think the listeners may may still be listening um yeah. so sometimes it may be a five minute podcast and sometimes it may be 45 minutes it's yeah. just you know as the, as the as the mood takes so i think it's a, it's a very freeing form actually oh god and i think it's again it's liberating especially when we feel we're in this kind of clickbait culture where we only have the attention span of a gnat and everything has to be in two minute bursts. Mm. But, but actually, you know, the number of podcasts that I listen to that run into two hours and they're fascinating, you know. Mm. Oh, well, it, it's it's very exciting for me to know how excited you two are about the um, the prospects. So um, I'm sure we'll, we'll talk more about that over the coming weeks. Um, we, we've mentioned um, that we are living in, shall we say, interesting times with, with war and economic crisis what do you think are the main challenges not necessarily for the poets in responding to these events but in for a poetry press in existing during those times of austerity and challenge I think that publishing itself you know is a tough industry it's definitely tough and poetry publishing is tougher um, we are lucky to have support from the Books Council of Wales, which we very much appreciate, and which allows us to continue publishing you know, great poetry and, uh, and gives us a lot of security, um, which is very, very good. But, you know, Wales, um, funding in Wales is not the same as elsewhere in the UK. This is another thing to remember that, you know, Arts Council of England, you know, has a lot more resources than the bodies that we have here um, in Wales. But that just means that we have to continually be making sure that we're relevant. 
yeah. and be making sure that we're publishing stuff which which people want to read and which is going to uh, be something they can relate to and care about. And so we have to be very careful about that. And it's something that we we do have to consider when we're thinking about the books that we're going to publish. Um, but, you know, I think there always will be a place for poetry um, and for poetry books um, because poetry has a special role uh, in Welsh culture, as we've talked about, this sense of it being something that we can be very proud of. Um, for example, you know, I've always thought that it was very important for us to have Poetry Wales, you know, as a magazine which represents, um, you know, the importance of that in Wales and um, shows that on an international stage, publishing writers from all over the world, you know, it's very important. Um, but like I say, you know, it's not easy and we do have to just keep reinventing and, and keep innovating in order to uh, maintain the press and, and keep it going. Yeah. And I think in times of crisis, that's when people tend to fall and lean back onto poetry a lot more. Um, people tend to read poetry who haven't read poetry in times of grief. A good friend of mine recently contacted me and um, his mother was dying of cancer. And he just he sat by her side and read her poetry, you know, for the last couple of months of her life. And that rekindled an interest in, in you know, in the form but as Zoe said, it's important to remain relevant. A lot of taboo subjects, you know, are finally coming out from under the rock, you know, and Saren's been important in bringing those subjects to the fore, like Hannah Hodgson's new book, 163 Days. I mean, what an important and urgent work that is. Um, you know, you've got Kim Moore, who's, um, who writes about domestic violence. You know, these were these were taboo subjects. They, they weren't touched before. And now they're getting the attention they deserve and they're relevant and they're important. And poetry is sometimes the best format with which to, with which to relay them to the world. I'm going to ask you one more question. And it's simply this. What excites you most about your role uh, with Seren? I think, I think the thing that excites me about it is just the idea of carrying on a certain kind of legacy. I think that sometimes people forget that there was a time when Saren didn't exist and it was a lot harder actually for Welsh poets writing in English, uh, what we used to call Anglo-Welsh poets, but we don't anymore. Um, but it was more difficult for for them to find a publisher. You couldn't necessarily rely on having a home, um, but Saren became that home. And I think that older generations of writers remember that about Saren. And, you know, I, I look at people like, um, when I was a kid, my mother used to have, she, my mother's an English teacher. She used to have all the Saren books. She always used to have them all. And she really appreciated the fact that we could access so many Welsh writers in English. Um, so I think like her generation remember that. I think sometimes we forget it. It's so important. It couldn't be more important for, for us to have like a press that does that and that represents Wales and Welsh writers. Um, and just, you know, being there to be a home for those writers. Uh, I think that's a great thing. And then also, you know, the best of elsewhere, the best writing from elsewhere. Um, as well, making a home for, for that. I mean, what's exciting for me is is reading the, it's actually having having the audacity to edit the poets who inspire me in the first place as well. You know, I, sometimes I do sort of feel like a child on a first day of school, you know, when I get a collection in from somebody, you know, is very incredibly well established. But also it's exciting, it's exciting when you find a new voice, you know, that really get, and that's when you, when it gets your heart racing, when it gets you pulsating, I find this with a lot of the arts, you know, 90% of what's out there is okay. But then you get that rare 10% that get that goes, this is why I do it, mm. you know, and this is what I'm championing. This is what I'm mentoring. This is what I'm going to give a, you know, a public stage. And, you know, I'm very much, you know, I owe a huge amount of gratitude to Amy Wack, 
you know, I was an unknown poet until she took me on. And then, you know, my career took off and it, it just took, it took an editor to take that chance on you to make that happen, yeah. you know? And the excitement we feel when we send an email to someone where we've accepted their manuscript or we've managed to pass their proposal, pass the board, you know, you get to relive it all over again because you, you forget what it was like when you were still writing poetry and you didn't actually have the guts to tell people you wrote poetry because you think you get an eye roll in return. So then when you actually have the confidence to announce that you're a poet, you know, mm. and a published poet, you know. It's, and see uh, the finish, the, the book with your, yeah. with your name on it and your words in it. You know, yeah. and to feel, and, to, and you know, and, and meeting with these poets and just the, you know, the confidence they have in you and winning that confidence, you know, because we're filling in big shoes with Amy Wack. Amy was incredible. And, the, you know, the voices she discovered and launched, you know, cannot be, you know, I can't sing her praises more highly, you know. Um, so like I big, say, big shoes to fill, but um, big shoes to fill, but we're looking to continue that legacy and some. And well, having spoken to you both today, I can I can absolutely see that the uh, that legacy is in in very good hands. So, Zoe and Rian, thank you so much for um, joining us today, and we really look forward to seeing um, what you're going to bring us with uh, with Sarah in the coming years. Thank you so much. Thank you, Chris. Thanks for having us. The Seren Poetry Podcast launches on National Poetry Day. That's Thursday the 6th of October and will run for nine weeks. We'll feature some of the most exciting poets currently writing in the UK and go on location to speak with them about their latest collections, their craft and inspiration. You can listen to preview podcasts and subscribe by searching for The Seren Poetry Podcast in your favourite podcast app. Subscribing to the Seren Poetry Podcast is easy, and once subscribed, you'll have all future editions delivered to your podcast feed the moment they're released. Start by searching for the Seren Poetry Podcast in your favourite podcast app. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Amazon Music, and all good podcast apps. When you've found the podcast, look for a button or tab that says subscribe. Some apps may say favourite, follow, or add. Click on the button to add us to your list of favourite podcasts. The Sylvia Plath Literary Festival will mark the 90th birthday of the legendary poet and coincide with the publication of After Sylvia, an inspiring anthology of new poems and essays in celebration of her life and work. The Weekend Festival will feature talks, readings, workshops and events at venues across Hebden Bridge and Heptonstall over the weekend of the 21st and 23rd of October. Please visit the festival website at plathfest.co.uk for more details and to buy tickets for events. Here's Festival Director, the poet and academic Sarah Corbett to tell us more about the festival. Uh, I'm joined today by Sarah Corbett. Sarah is a poet, novelist and academic. She won the Eric Gregory Award for her debut collection, The Red Wardrobe, and she's been shortlisted for the T.S. Eliot and Forward Prizes. Her collection, The Witch Bag, was featured on this podcast. Sarah, welcome to Alternative Stories. Hello, thank you for having me. Well, it's great to um, hear from you again. It was quite a while ago, wasn't it, that we did that podcast about The Witch Bag? Anything pre-pandemic seems like another age, yeah. isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Was, was there a world pre-pandemic? It's hard to remember, isn't it? Yeah. Now, the reason we're, we're talking today is because, as, as well as all of these things, you're also the director of the forthcoming Sylvia Plath Literary Festival. So I wondered if you could tell us a little bit about the festival, please. So... Um... The, fest the festival celebrates Sylvia Plath's 90th birthday, which, um, which will be in October, 27th of October, that's Plath's birthday. The festival is the 21st to the 23rd of October. Um, 
I was originally approached with the idea back in 2019 after I'd done a birthday party for Sylvia Plath, which is something I'd wanted to do for a long time. And it was great success and a lot of fun. And, um, and the, the festival sort of emerged out of that, set it up in 2019, and the pandemic happened. And then the other thing that happened alongside that was the idea for the anthology after Sylvia. So we've got the funding for the anthology. So that, you know, we were able, that was able to go ahead. That's edited with Ian Humphreys. Um, and yeah, I mean, and, you know, I think there was a lot of excitement about the idea of a festival just celebrating Sylvia Plath um, in Hebden Bridge. Um, she's buried in Hebden Stroll. I guess her links are, if she wasn't buried here, her links might seem a little tenuous. Um, but the fact that she's here, like literally here, um, I, I think has been part of why this area has been become such a kind of literary place. Um, and, you know, lots of people have moved here because Sylvia's here. Mm. Um, so there's this kind of strange thing where this American poet um, came to Cambridge in the 1950s and married Ted Hughes, as we know, um, ends up having this quite intense relationship with this little place in the Pennines um, called Hepton Stroll, which is, you know, the, little, the, little, the original, the old medieval town on the hill. Um, and then the town of Hebden Bridge, which people might be more familiar with. Um, mm. And, you know, I, I mean, I, I've lived here for sort of 20 years. I first came here um, to go to the Writers' Centre at Lumbank. Um, and, you know, I, I kind of brought my son up here and I, I felt come to feel like there was a kind of reason I was here um, mm. and that maybe that had something to do with Sylvia Plath. So, <clears throat> yeah, it kind of, you know, it's all coming together now in why I have spent a year <laughs> working flat out um, to bring this entity, Sylvia Plath, the True Festival, into being. Um, it's very much a one-off, it's a unique event um, for this sort of celebratory year. Um, obviously, there's going to be 100 years, and one would hope there's going to be an awful lot that's going to happen at that time, but that's in the future. Mm. Um, and the idea is to, is to bring you know, international Plath scholars and contemporary poets together to celebrate the, the, the work of this extraordinary writer who's had an incredible, you know, one of the most important and influential writers of um, the second half of the 20th century. And both the festival and the anthology are sister projects, um, part of this, um, this, this kind of celebratory, this celebratory moment, and also a moment that we hope will, um, you know, begin a kind of redress of plan in the public imagination. Obviously, this work is being done in, in, in academia, it's being done in universities, but often that doesn't get beyond the walls of the conference, the university. So, you know, we're having events like we've got, um, you know, emerging young, young Plath scholars who are either doing their PhDs or have just finished their PhDs on Plath. They're doing a panel. And then we have people like Heather Clark and Gail Crowther, Emily Van Dyne from the US. And then we've got online events with, um, you know, Karen Kukul, who, you know, she, she you know, very important, Karen Kukul, in, you know, in, in, in preserving the Plath archive and in editing her her letters um so we've got you know luminaries you know leading class scholars from across the world there is a digital program as well the idea is that they will bring their scholarship to a wider audience they're not academic events they're events designed to bring these a lot of these new ideas around class to a wider audience alongside a, a host of some of the best contemporary female poets writing today, such as, um, you know, Mona Arshi, um, Victoria Kenefick, um, you know, Jean Sprackland, um, Martha Sprackland, a great wealth of, of female voices. The focus is on female voices. Mm. At the festival. And, yeah, and, 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 and it is an amazing lineup. 
I just wondered if, I mean, clearly um, the, the timing of the festival is to celebrate um, a particular anniversary, yeah. but Plath's writing probably has never seemed more more relevant and urgent than it does yeah. today. I mean, yeah. we should say as well as the poetry, um, the, there's a novel as well, isn't there? There's yeah. the, the Bell Jar. Yeah. Um, so I wonder if you could say a little bit about Plath's relevance in 2022. I mean, I think that Plath is in, increasingly relevant. I mean, if you think of, well, if you think of the Bell Jar, where she's writing about, obviously, um, mental breakdown and suicide. I mean, at a time when, you know, um, women in particular would have been, you know, pretty much locked away and given electric shock treatment, which is something that Plath suffered from as well. But also, I think maybe even more importantly, you know, she's really challenging um, and addressing the incredible pressure society puts on women, which is something that she experienced, um, you know, the double standard, the double sexual standard, um, as well as sexual violence. You know, there's a sort of near rape as well in the Bell Jar. So I think that she was confronting and exploring head on these questions, you know, you know, just as, just as the second, I mean, she kind of dies as Betty Friedan's um, Feminine Mystique comes out, that comes out in just after Plath dies. And, you know, so she dies just as the beginning of that second wave of feminism, of course, it's taken up by the feminist movement, becomes a feminist icon. Um, but if you look at what she was grappling with during the late 50s, and the early 60s, obviously, um, you know, before she for her premature death, she she's really confronting a lot of these central questions that were then to be taken up by the feminist movement. And, you know, nah, not that much has changed, not that much has changed. Obviously, there were great big kind of changes that were made um, sort of in the 70s, but you know, just look at what's happening in America with reproduction rights um, mm -hmm. and what's happening across the world. I mean, look at Iran. You know, so this, it's still, there's still a big fight to be fought. And I think that she, whilst we don't know whether she would have thought of herself as a feminist or come to think of herself as a feminist, I mean, we, also, we can be almost certain that she would have engaged mm. intellectually, artistically and critically with, with the feminist movements. You know, I mean, we just look at her work. She was already starting to confront and work some of that stuff out in her work and to challenge it. And she is furious. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> She's absolutely furious. So she was vital then, groundbreaking then. But of course, it took time. It took really until the 70s for her work to really get that impact, partly because it hadn't been published. Mm. You know, the Bell Jar was only published in America in 1971. You only get her collected poems in 1981. And then there's still, you know, there's still work we know has been held back, destroyed. There was work in archives. Mm. New, I don't know how much I can say about it, but there is a new collected poems on the horizon, which hopes to address some of that. Mm. And then if you think of something like Three Women, so Three Women is Plath's radio play that she um, that she wrote for the BBC. For, I think it went out on the, it go out on the third program. I could be wrong about that. I think in 1962, mm. um, absolutely groundbreaking, absolutely groundbreaking. You know, three women in a hospital. One woman's had um, a miscarriage. Another woman has a child that she's giving up for adoption. And another woman is the kind of happy mother, you know, a wanted child. She takes home and she really, again, addresses these very central questions for women about reproduction and motherhood. Um I think there's no doubt that if she had lived this long, she would be writing about abortion. Yeah. Oh, and would have written about those issues. Um, last, last broadcast in 1968. Mm. Yeah. It's coming out again, but I, uh, yeah, I can't say too much about that. Hopefully it'll be announced relatively soon. Why is it languished? Why isn't this work? Why is it, why isn't it canonical work? Why isn't it on, Every A level syllabus. Yeah, absolutely. You know, three women, you know, mm. grand, absolutely groundbreaking. And she's increasingly relevant 
She never stops being relevant. And the amazing thing about Plath that you, you know, she, you know, she didn't have a very long career. She was 30 when she died. And yet there is so much still being explored and written about in her work. Um, you know, again, this whole new generation now emerging of young of young of young critics and writers responding to her work. Mm. And and, and it, you'll be fostering a a, a a new or extended community of Plath followers um in in was it three weeks now at uh at um at the festival. yeah three weeks time we want it to be a big conversation big celebration yeah. uh conversation and then the anthology hopefully will give us a chance over the next 12 months to really really kind of explore some of those questions so the anthology um is really about showing really underlining her central and essential influence on contemporary poetry, particularly contemporary poetry by women, mm. how essential she has been to generate several generations, you know, and the newest generation, the young people who are beginning to write now, you know, so. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and as, you've, as you've kind of mentioned, um, Sarah, that as well as discussions about Plath and her, her life and her writing, this is a literary festival as well. Yeah. Um, you've mentioned a couple of names there, Mona Arshi and um, uh, Polly Atkin, who both appeared on this podcast. Um, so, you know, listeners may may well be interested in uh, checking them out. So give it, give us a few more names of people that will be appearing, Sarah. Well, we have we're very lucky in Hebden Bridge. Um, there's a lot of poets in Hebden Bridge. So, of course, um, you know, we're, we're really welcoming in um, many of our sort of local female poets. So our first event on the Friday morning is a poetry brunch for the tea and cake with Amanda Dalton and Judith Wilson um, and Eleanor Reese from Liverpool um, is coming over. Eleanor's also running a workshop on the Saturday. The workshops are sold out now. They're always the first things to sell out. Mm. Um, and um, and then on the Friday night, we have the, the launch of After Sylvia and myself and Ian Humphreys, who's the co-editor of After Sylvia. And actually, Ian, you know, Ian helped me set up the festival right, right back in 2019. Mm. Um, we'll be introducing the anthology. We have Jane Comain, who is a um, very well-known editor of Nine Arches Press, but is a poet in her own right. And, we'll and be, has yeah. also appeared on Alternative Stories. <laughs> yeah, and we'll, we'll be uh, all the best poets. And, you know, she, well, she's here as a poet, um, mm. Rosie Garland. Carol Luther, very lucky to have Carol Luther, um, you know, to be able to claim her as one of our local poets. Her new book, On the Way to Jerusalem Farm, Jerusalem Farm is not too far up the road there, um, is on the shortlist for the Derek Walcott Prize. Now, Carol will be at the launch of After Sylvia and also doing a separate reading on the Saturday night in Heptonstall, where we have Carol Luther and Joe Clement, who's, first, who's the editor of Butcher's Dog and has her first collection out with Blood Axe this year. They're doing an event up in Hepton Stall in the church near where Plath is buried on the Saturday night. Um, and there's also a new, uh, a new um, piece of music being played by a local composer, Stephen Shulman. We have a string quartet. There's a mm. string quartet playing, doing a premiere of an original piece of music in that event. Um, our big headline on the Saturday night in Hebden Bridge is with Heather Clark, um, who is the, you know, who wrote Red Comet, the new biography of Plath, mm. and Ruth Fainlight, um, which I think is an incredible coup to have Ruth Fainlight, because Ruth Fainlight was um, Plath's friend. Mm. Um, I has a poem dedicated to her. So Ruth will be here in conversation, reading her poetry and in conversation with Heather Clark. Um, and then on the Sunday evening, we have Victoria Kenefick, um, who is perhaps one of the brightest stars shining at the moment, mm. um, I think, in the, in the poetry scene in terms of a new poet whose first collection came out, did it come out last year? I think it came out last year with Carcanet. She's an Irish poet. 
absolutely extraordinary poet. Um, and that book has gone on and won prize after prize after prize, very much deserved. And she's a fantastic reader. And she's reading with Shivani Ramlochen, again, another extraordinary female poet, um, a Jamaican poet published by Peepal Tree Press, uh, also an activist. Um, so and that, so very, two very, very strong female voices who absolutely take no prisoners with their work, who I think Plath would have loved and probably envied. Um, and um, we also have two events, slightly smaller events at the library. Um, one of those I'm calling luminaries, um, Susan Wicks, um, Moniza Alvey, and Jean Sprackland. And I feel very strongly that there is a generation of female poets, um, you know, who've published eight, seven, eight collections sometimes, and just being a little bit eclipsed at the moment, I think, in a kind of like this intense pressure, obsession with the new um, in, a, in our culture at every level. And mm. these poets who, you know, are forging part of that kind of, wave in the 80s forging the ground for women's poetry in, in Britain when it wasn't easy to get published it wasn't easy to get reviewed you weren't put on prize shortlists and I think they're still writing they're still writing incredible work and they're really important so that's on the Saturday afternoon at Heavenbridge Library and then on the Sunday afternoon we have a pavilion poets event pavilion is my publisher mm -hmm. um and um, under Darren Rhys-Jones and have become by default, not by design, really a kind of publisher of women's poetry. And there we, and we'll have Mona Arshi, um, Martha Sprackland, who's a fantastic young writer, um, and Sarah Westcott, mm. who I think is finally her star is rising. And yeah, then we have absolutely wonderful poets in our digital, two digital poetry readings, we have an event with Polly Atkin, Hannah Hodgson, and up-and-coming poet Betty Doyle. Um, and then another, a second poetry event with Maureen Boyle, who's an Irish poet. Jessica Mukherjee, who is a fantastic British poet, again, I think, starting to, starting to get the attention that she deserves. Denise Saul, um, whose uh, second collection with Pavilion has been absolutely magnificent, I think. And Alicia Pirmahamid, again, um, a young poet, um, Canadian poet now living in Scotland, whose first collection has just come out. And I, I think she's going to be a big star, Alicia. She's fantastic. So, you know, we've got, I think, some of the best poets, female poets writing in Britain, right across, you know, from poets who were publishing in the 80s and are still publishing to poets who are publishing their debuts and winning prizes now. So I think mm. we've got absolutely brilliant lineup. And, you know, I want people to... Sylvia Plath was a writer. Mm. You know, the academic work is important, but she was a poet. She was a poet and a novelist. And that's what matters. The, the creative work matters. And all of the poets at the festival, many of whom are also in the anthology, all would all cite Plath as a major influence. Mm, I was it's, just going to say, I, I think that's the the binding factor, yes. apart from the Everything fact that you've, you've invited them to come along. Is that they Everyone would all... is here is here because of Sylvia Plath. Yeah, yeah. Everybody. Well, I mean, so, so you've given us a, an overview of, of of the events and who who's going to be coming. How can our listeners find out a bit more about the about the festival and maybe book and buy tickets? Well, the main, the, obviously the main, um, the main place to do that is on our website, mm -hmm. plathfest.co.uk, and also through the social media. Again, I think it's plathfest. Plathfest, isn't it? Plathfest. Everywhere you go. Was, I wanted to have T-shirts until I found out how expensive they were. <laughs> and also it's pretty cold here now. It's kind of happening. It's not really T-shirt weather up in Yorkshire, not is it? Weather. And if you are <laughs> travelling and you haven't been here before, warm stuff. Yeah. Decent footwear. Yes. Lots of slippery cobbles, lots of steep hills. It is quite hilly, isn't it, in Hebden Bridge? Yeah. <laughs> and certainly on the way up to Hebden. Like the Himalayas. So yeah. Like the Himalayas. Think Himalayas. And hopefully, hopefully it's not raining. We're hoping mm. it's not going to rain. This weekend last year was absolutely magnificent. Mm. 
<laughs> so, so it's the the weekend of the 21st to the 23rd of october oh, yeah. um and uh plathfest is is what to look out for on yeah. twitter instagram facebook and plathfest.co.uk is, is the, website the website where you can book tickets and we'll yeah. we'll print uh we'll put links to those um to all of the social media and the website in the show notes for this podcast so sarah just just wanted to say Best of luck for the festival. I know you've done a lot of hard work to pull it all together. Um, and thank you very much for joining us on the podcast today. Thank you so much. Thank you, Chris. Find out more about Plathfest by visiting the festival website at plathfest.co.uk or follow the festival on social media by searching Plathfest on Twitter, Instagram or Facebook. Autumn is audio drama season on Alternative Stories. Between now and Christmas, we'll share a number of new dramas, including The Gathering by Lewis Carter, a new standalone Dex legacy drama, The International Confederation by Emily Inkpen, The Best of Men by Amy Boucher, Postcards from Another World by Frasia Armitage, drama on Alternative Stories and Fake Realities. Thank you for joining us on the Alternative Stories and Fake Realities podcast today. If you haven't already, please subscribe to the podcast in your favourite podcast app. You can write to us or follow us on Twitter or Instagram, and we'll post all the links mentioned in this podcast in the show notes. The interviewer was me, Chris Gregory. Presenters were Chris Gregory and Tiffany Clare. And our guests were Zoe Brigley, Rian Edwards and Sarah Corbett. This has been an Alternative Stories 2022 production for the Alternative Stories and Fake Realities podcast. stories and fake realities podcast audio drama poetry fiction